Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Gretchen Fowles, Geographic Information Specialist within DEP's Division of Fish and Wildlife. This year, the New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife is celebrating its 125th anniversary. Throughout the years, it has made countless accomplishments and has made alliances with many great partners to protect and preserve New Jersey's fish and wildlife. A recent example of some of the work that they do is a bobcat release. Gretchen is here to tell us more about this. The bobcat that was released had been injured, and after months of rehabilitation at the Woodlands Wildlife Refuge in Hunterdon County, it was ready to be released back into its natural environment. The bobcat is New Jersey's only species of wildcat and is enlisted as endangered here in New Jersey. And I am really interested in hearing more about the bobcat. I didn't even know we had any bobcats in New Jersey. So Gretchen, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about the bobcat. Sure, thanks for inviting me. Could you first give us a little bit of the basics about the bobcats? Kind of, you know, how big are they? What do they look like? Where do they tend to live? You know, tell us what we don't know about bobcats. <laughs> sure. So they're about twice the size of a regular house cat. They're about two feet tall, can be about three feet long. Females weigh 20 to 25 pounds. Males are a little bit bigger, weigh more like 30 to 35 pounds. Their coloration varies from kind of grayish brown, tan, it could even be reddish. They've got a spotted coat and those spots can be either subtle or more pronounced. And actually researchers use that pattern to uniquely identify individuals sometimes based on photos. So that pattern is kind of like a fingerprint. Yeah, unique to the individual, so that's kind of neat. They have small black tufted tufts on the on their ears, and their a couple distinguishing characteristics are that the back of their ears are black, but they've got a bright white patch on the back of each ear that's called an eye spot sometimes. That's kind of distinctive. And then they have that short tail, which is why they're named Bobcat, which is about six inches long, and it's kind of tipped black and white. Where do they live in New Jersey? What's what's their range? Yeah, so historically they existed throughout the state, but then they've gone through some declines kind of in the early part of the 1900s, particularly in the 60s and 70s, they were particularly scarce. So they were actually, our division reintroduced them, captured some from Maine and relocated them to northern New Jersey, about 24 bobcats between the late 1970s and early 1980s. And since then, the population up north seems to be growing again, which is great. But they're kind of the core of their range is north of Route 78, west of 287, and then just real sporadic reports in central and southern New Jersey. So what sort of habitat do they favor? Are they mostly forest dwellers, or are they pretty adaptable to any habitat? 
Yeah, they're considered a habitat generalist, so they do use a variety of habitat types, forest for sure. And we've been finding, and others have found this too, that particularly a mixture of kind of forest habitat, wetlands, rocky areas, the edge of agricultural lands, because that's where their prey is most abundant. So their prey, they're a carnivore, Mm -hmm. and they eat mice and voles and rabbits and squirrels, as well as birds and reptiles too, and can even occasionally take down kind of a weak deer or a fawn. But basically, smaller animals. Smaller animals, usually. You don't have to worry about your domestic dogs, usually. No, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's good. Kind of what is their life habit? Do they tend to mate for life? How often do the females have litters? How big are their litters? Tell us a little bit about their reproductive patterns. Yeah, so they're solitary animals, so they don't live in packs or anything. So they're solitary except during mating season. And so the mating season's just ending now, actually. It's usually from January to March. And then they have a gestation period of about 60 days. So the kittens will be born kind of April to June, July. And so they're solitary except when they're mating or uh, females taking care of the, the kitten. And it is just the females that's doing that. And the litters range from one to seven. It tends to be more in the range of kind of two to three. How big are the little kittens when they're born? Just a couple pounds, um, you know, when they're first born. Really? And how long does the mom bobcat uh, stay with the kittens? When are they ready to go out on their own? Yeah, so they're they're sometimes with the mom for close to a year, sometimes 10 months to a year before she kind of boots them out and is getting ready for another litter. They tend to have a litter a year. And do the bobcats live in dens, or do they just kind of hunker down at night wherever they happen to be, or how do, how do they do that? Yeah, so when the mom has a litter of kittens that she's taking care of, she tends to find a spot, particularly, yeah, in a kind of rocky habitat, you know, a bit of a den, kind of worst case in a hollowed out log, something like that, and will stay put for a bit until the kittens are more independent and can follow her around. But otherwise... It's amazing their range of movements. They really do. They don't just kind of hunker down in a den all year long and return to that. They're really moving all over the place and just finding a spot to hunker up each day. And their their habit is actually, it's called crepuscular. So they're most active around the hours of dawn and dusk because that's when their prey tends to be too. But they occasionally are active during the day too, but most often kind of those early and later hours. So they're kind of nomadic as well then. Yeah, which is why they're difficult to see because of the hours that they're active and the fact that they're so wide ranging and they're solitary. So (laughs) a lot of factors that make it difficult to actually observe one. Sure. I imagine they blend in pretty well too. And very well camouflaged, yes. (laughs) So this bobcat that was released, tell us a little bit about this fellow. What happened to him and why did he need to be rehabbed? Yeah, so this was a young male bobcat resting, mating about six or seven months old that back in November was hit by a vehicle. A couple residents heard, I guess, kind of a squealing of some brakes and came out to investigate. And there was a bobcat there, a young bobcat that was clearly injured, but still alive. And so they, thanks to their quick actions, they called the local animal control who responded right away. And then we were able to transport the bobcat down to Woodlands Wildlife Refuge down in Hunterdon County, where they assessed it and then coordinated appointments with a vet down there. Voorhees Veterinary Clinic in Flemington that did initial evaluations and x-rays to see the 
kind of scope of the injuries. Now, what sort of injuries did the Bobcat have? Yeah, so its right hind leg was kind of smashed up. Yeah. <laughs> its femur and it had some injuries to its joint on that leg. So the right hind leg was pretty unusable. But otherwise, it didn't seem to have any internal injuries, thankfully, or anything That's like good. that. Yeah. yeah. So then it had, it actually saw an orthopedic specialist at a crown veterinary specialist in Lebanon, and they performed the surgery there and put pins and plates and other contraptions in there to kind of hold that leg back together again. And then it's been recovering from that injury ever since at Woodlands Wildlife Refuge. And now it was recovered enough, strong, eating well, gained enough weight that it's it's ready to go. Who pays for that sort of surgery and stuff? I'm, you know, it's medical costs are expensive. Yeah. Uh, how, did, how does that sort of thing get covered? Yeah, so the it's a lot of credit to the Woodlands Wildlife Refuge. They not um, they don't receive funds from the Division of Fish and Wildlife at all. So they're a nonprofit, and they rely on donations. And they, you know, sometimes in special cases like that, will hold a special fundraiser too to seek specific donations, you know, to help cover the costs of of that surgery. And the veterinarians are amazing too, and sometimes. Reduce the, the cost, cost a little bit of yeah. it, yeah, to yeah. Help. Well, it's not every day they get to work on a bobcat, so it's probably yeah. a special thing for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now that the bobcat has been released, how do you kind of figure out how you're going to release it and where you're going to release it? I imagine that's probably a pretty delicate operation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the basic idea there is to return it back to where it came from. We don't want to be messing with the dynamics that are going on or perhaps genetics or anything else. So it's a matter of getting it back as close to that spot as possible, but it was hit on a a busy road there. So making sure that it's obviously not so close to that road either, that it's just going to have this happen, you know, all over again. Sure. Uh, So you mentioned that the bobcat is injured here in New Jersey, and we started off with 24 bobcat, about probably 30, 40 years ago, imported from Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have an idea what the bobcat population is today in our state? Yeah, that's a, the million-dollar question. They're very difficult to track as part of the trouble because they're so elusive and solitary and so wide-ranging. So we've used a few different methods, and we're trying to get at those numbers and at least be able to tell the trends in population size and certainly distribution and some of their, you know, the habitats that they use and that kind of thing. So we've used radio telemetry over the years to get a better idea of their ranges of movements, how big their home range sizes are, what habitats they're using. So in terms of roads, they do get hit on roads sometimes and not always are just injured, but actually are killed on the road. So we ask folks to report those to us and we'll go pick up the carcass. So that's another way that we're marking locations of bobcats and getting samples, DNA samples and other samples. Probably evaluate the health of the the cat too before it was hit. Yeah, absolutely. So whether it was well fed and nourished and Sure. In good condition. Yeah, we can tell a lot of information from these carcasses. (laughs) Um, And then community reporting, too, that we ask folks to report any observations they have. There's so many people out there now that have trail cameras that have been a great source of information for us. And lastly, we've used a detection dog, actually, that's trained to find bobcat scat. So he finds the scat, and then we're able to send that in to a lab, and they can extract DNA from the 
those droppings and tell us which individual it came from, if it was a male or female. So all sorts of great information. Plus, of course, the location of the scat gives us information about distribution and that kind of thing. So we're using a variety of techniques to try to better understand kind of the status of the population. Does the bobcat have any natural predators here in New Jersey besides automobiles? <laughs> yeah, humans, right, with automobiles. Um, not that much. There's some folks have reported some conflict potentially between fishers and bobcats or coyotes and bobcats, but not to a significant degree. So what other efforts are we making besides getting a sense of the population, the distribution, and all those sorts of, sorts of things? What other things are we doing to try and uh, protect the bobcats that are here and increase the size of the bobcat population in our state? Yeah, so I guess that comes down to some of the threats. And so kind of the biggest threat that we see is habitat loss and fragmentation, which plays into this issue with the roads and this, you know, bobcat that was just released. The gist of it is that wildlife, basically they need to be able to move through the landscape to find food, to find mates and other resources. And so this has become, though, more and more difficult for a lot of our terrestrial wildlife in the state, where we just have a lot of urbanization and a lot of roads that they have to contend with. So bobcats are actually one of the key species we had in mind when we initiated a project that we've called the Connecting Habitat Across New Jersey Project. It's CHANGE for short. And the idea is to create a map that offers kind of a bird's eye view of the intact habitat patches that are remaining in New Jersey, and then mapping out the habitat corridors between them to get those habitat patches connected. And so in the end, it displays this connected network of habitat across the state that we can all view on this interactive map and work together to figure out how to keep it and then how to potentially improve it too. So there's cases where a road may cross a habitat corridor that may make it difficult for an animal for, to get from one patch of habitat on one side of the road to the other, that might be a spot that we'll investigate and target for a tunnel to put under the road there and allow animals to safely move, you know, through the roadway. So there are actual kind of pathways that animals use, you know, kind of the way we use our roads to get from place to place. They're not just kind of popping out of here and there and anywhere. They're actually kind of established pathways that they're able to identify and use, huh? Yeah, and so we can look at riparian areas, particularly along stream corridors, tend to be a pretty popular movement corridor for a lot of animals. In a lot of cases, animals tend to avoid urban you know, neighborhoods, and so they're going to look for areas of natural habitat to be able to move through. So with the help of you know, mapping technology, we can figure out and delineate those, those areas that they're likely serve as travel, you know, corridors for them. And so we're working on this project. We're developing it right now with a whole bunch of different partners. It's a big collaborative effort with transportation planners and universities, nonprofit organizations. So hopefully we can all kind of be on the same page and working together on making this connected landscape a reality. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're it excited about it. sounds like a great pro project. Mm -hmm. Any idea of when that's going to be completed or is it going to be a work in progress for a while? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a work in progress for a couple of years now, uh, but we're getting close. We've got some draft statewide mapping and are just trying to pull all the, the products together That's right really now. Neat. Yeah. So what can people do who are listening to this podcast? What can they do to 
uh, support the Bobcat to help in the efforts that the Division of Fish and Wildlife is making to make New Jersey a, a, a good place for Bobcats. Yeah, sure. Well, it is tax season. I guess I need to put in this this plug that you can support our program's efforts to protect actually a wide variety of species by checking off a box that's on the tax form called the Endangered Wildlife Fund. It's online 59, I believe, where you can, and it provides you an option of contributing a certain amount of money uh, that really goes a long way in supporting our efforts. And there's actually a license plate you can buy too that helps support our program. There's one with a redheaded woodpecker on it that I have, which is very cool, or there's one with a, a bald eagle as well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, other ways that you can help, you know, support bobcats and their recovery is certainly to report any observations that you make, particularly if you have a photo, they are often misidentified as as something else. So a photo is really helpful, especially, like I said, with all those trail cameras out there. Uh, We do get a lot of those submittals. And certainly there's a bunch of nonprofit conservation groups that are doing work that help support efforts that'll help in the recovery of bobcats. There's a Woodlands Wildlife Refuge, like I said, that's a nonprofit that serves as a rehabilitator to help get some of these animals back out there. And then there's other nonprofit groups that work towards educating the public about wildlife issues or that help acquiring land that is really helpful, again, to create that network of a connected landscape. And A lot of those groups are partnering with us on that Connecting Habitat project, so the Conserve Wildlife Foundation or the Nature Conservancy. And actually, the Nature Conservancy is working on preserving tracts of land in Sussex and Warren County in a swath of habitat that lines up with our Connecting Habitat mapping in an area that they're calling Bobcat Alley. So that would be (laughs) an appropriate use of funds, too. That's pretty cool. So the Bobcat really has a lot of friends and supporters here in New Jersey. They're a very intriguing species, yeah, certainly to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, well, I, I I was certainly very surprised to learn that we even had bobcats in New Jersey. I hadn't given much thought to it, I guess, but uh, I think it's really cool that here in the most densely populated state in the Union that we have a growing bobcat population. They sound like a very useful creature to have out there going after things like mice and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. the more we can kind of keep that population down, that's not such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And just as part of our natural environment here, uh, to think that uh, we've been able to reintroduce this animal as we have others, others that we've talked about on this podcast as well, is such a tribute, I think, not only to the vision that environmental leaders in this state have had for many decades, but also the work that you are doing, uh, Gretchen, and and your colleagues Mm. at the Division of Fish and Wildlife. It's great to know that these animals that have been here for really thousands of years are back in New Jersey. I think it's really great that here in New Jersey we dedicate the resources and the effort to make sure that animals like the bobcats uh, really do have a place here as part of our natural environment. Uh, I always think it's important for us as human beings to remember that we are a part of and not apart from the natural environment. And when we're making New Jersey a better place for bobcats and eagles and all the other uh, animals that have traditionally made our state home, it's a good thing for New Jersey. Absolutely. We have on the description of the podcast some links that folks should definitely check out, see some pictures of bobcats, find out more about them, and certainly more about the release that just took place 
It was a fascinating event and something that you don't get to see very often. So I would urge everybody to check out the links that we have on the description of the podcast. Gretchen, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share with us information about an elusive animal that is probably not that well known in the state, but certainly after today will be much better known. Thanks so much. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.